McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to PO4 Cards, episode 192. Well, it was nil-nil at Fratton Park, so are Pompey going to struggle to break down those defensive teams? Enjoy the podcast today, is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunce. Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, my friend. Uh, how are we doing on your end? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. I've got some time off work this week, which is nice. Off to Lost Village Festival tomorrow, so... Just doing that manic thing. I'm I'm not very good at preparing, so I still had to go out and get a new sleeping bag. I re- I realised today. So, yeah, all go really. How about you? Yeah, pretty standard. Yeah, signed off work at the moment, so living my best to Pentadol life and uh, just cracking on, mate. Yeah, nothing exciting. Fair enough. Well, I know somebody in the background who's looking pretty relaxed, even compared to last week. Freddie Webb, how are you? I am not so bad, Hugh. Thank you. Yeah, I'm also relaxed because I'm like Hugh. I am also on holiday, and I only just figured out that I'll be going to a beer festival on Friday. So all good, nothing going wrong, and I'll be back in York for a week. The only annoying thing is trains have ruined Stevenage away, and I can't go. But aside from that, all good, all good. Yeah, that's fair enough. Bit of a mission to get to Stevenage away, but trains cancelled it. But there is a beer festival to look for, Freddie. And I know what you like with beer, so I'm guessing you're going to be absolutely monstering it and can barely remember the night. Is that right? Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm meeting up some old mates in York I haven't seen in ages, so we'll see how that goes. That sounds very messy, but all right, let's just get into it this week. First of all, we're going to review the game against Cheltenham. Following from that, we're going to review the all-action goal game against the Fulham under-21s. And then we put a question out to you guys. And thanks to everyone who messaged in. We really appreciate it. And we asked the question of, are we thinking too much about the early results of Portsmouth so far? And then, finally, we're going to preview the game against Stevenage. Right, let's go. The Cheltenham game, boys. Now, this is one we're going to have to break apart and micro look at because there was just so much that went on in this game. And Freddie, did you feel when we were at the game that it would end in this sort of dreary nil-nil result? And what do you think from that? My thoughts are different from when I was at the game slightly to afterwards when I had a quick look through. Portsmouth only had, what, four shots in the first half, which was a bit grim and it looked quite plodding against a team that looked as if they'd prepped for a nil-nil draw, five at the back, starting to spate them down. Pompey had a few key chances in the second half. It wasn't helped with the linesman situation, which we'll go on to, and, and a lot of the stoppages in play, that definitely didn't help, and all the extra added minutes. But no, um, watching the game, they didn't look like they were going to score for a while, even though there were some 
solid chances in that game. But I'm going to bring in Guess the XG early because I think it's important. Guess the XG. So what is your guess for the total XG of Portsmouth in this game? Against Charlton, which I did no no. Oh, I went first last week, Hugh. So you're up, my friend. I'm gonna go just thinking about it, looking at my notes and the level of who had a shot in this game, thinking about that. So Rafty have one earlier on. I'm gonna say 0.75. Interesting. Um, I mean it was anything but spectacular, but we did create some chances. I mean, uh, was it Poole hit the post with a header at one point that could have gone in? Oh, yeah. So I've chronically undervalued us on that level Possibly. of my... Yeah. Possibly. I mean, I, don't know. I think the Poole header, Rafferty had that shot saved. And then it was, was it a Robertson free kick went went close as well. So I'll go with 0.95, I think. Well, Andy's the closest. Because of his higher number. I think Wise Guy actually overestimated this XG, in my personal opinion. I looked through every single shot, went through all of them. They classed it as 2.16, mainly with the shots from Sadie ballooning it over the bar in like the last minute from like the six yard box. They mentioned the Paul header hitting the post, that was a big one. And both of those equated to about half of that total, I think. And then the rest of it was accumulative. But it made me think because during the game, I didn't think Pompey were going to score at all, and they looked a bit limp going forward creatively. And I was a bit negative about it. But then looking back, not just at the start, just looking back at the shots individually, they could have won that game. And I'm not going to overreact as much as I would have done last Saturday. It was incredibly frustrating, and there were reasons why Pompey lacked creatively and... There are some quotes by Massinho in the Fulham B-team game, which are very short, and I'll go through, which link to that. But I think later in the season, Pompey could be okay, but it's just frustrating at the moment that they're lacking creativity at the moment and not converting all the chances that they should. Yeah, to be honest with you, I completely forgot about that chance in the last minute. So that's probably why both of us have undervalued a bit there. Yeah, I think it was. it's one of those games where, I mean, first half, I think it was... Solid, but not spectacular. I mean, it was a long way from spectacular, but it wasn't a complete mess by any stretch. The, we didn't look like, you know, running away with the game, which, I mean, you compare, what was the last home game we had them with them? It was a, a 4-0 win, wasn't it, towards the end of last season? It was a really comfortable victory. So you have to look at that as kind of your, your measuring bar. And this was obviously going to fall quite a long way below that. It's going to be... For the next month, in September, when the tough games are really coming into the, the fixture list, it's going to be about us being clinical in front of goal. And again, this is something we'll talk about with the Fulham game, is the chances you create and the chances we created in this game, you've got to score one of them because we're not going to get as many chances against the better teams in the league. No offence to Cheltenham, but I think without Alfie May, they're going to be struggling this season. I think at least two of us had them to go down in our pre-season predictions. And it's that lack of sort of cutting edge, I'm so so tired of saying this on the podcast, that tired of, um, that lack of cutting edge is probably my biggest concern for this, from this game, in that they did create a few chances. It was not spectacular in the slightest. I mean, we'll, I guess we'll talk about the, uh, the booing in a minute that there was from some people at the end of the game, but 
you know, there were chances. Rafferty played a ball in that Bishop couldn't quite get onto the end of at one point. The chances we've already spoken about, you've got to be scoring one of them if you're going to be competing at the higher end of the table and you expect to be up there at the end of the season. Because, I mean, whatever, whatever position we end the season in, whether it's second or 22nd, we're still going to look back at this, Cheltenham at home, as being two points dropped, like whatever the end result of the season is. And that is very, very frustrating for me. Uh, it just... It was just a bit drab, wasn't it? It was anything but a classic. It was not the best game of football I've ever seen. I think there was some quite hyperbolic reaction on social media, which I know is just really unusual for social media, but there was a lot of hyperbole thrown around. I don't think it was an absolute train wreck. I just think it was a fairly drab afternoon, to be honest with you. But, well, we go again, hey? We did have some chances in this game, didn't we? I mean, you guys already touched on some of them, so... Talk about a couple of more that we have a look at. Rafferty had this free kick, headed back back across the goal. Robertson gets a little back heel, tries that, goes wide, but that kind of thing's a little bit, you know, nice creativity. And had another chance on the break where you thought maybe you'd get a bit of joy when Chelton did come out against us because they played very defensively in this game. It was almost a back five with the two defensive midfielders almost sitting in front sometimes making it almost a back seven to try and make us break down. So Robertson breaks forward with the ball. He tries this lovely pass to Morel, but it sort of falls to Scully. It's in that position. And I know there's been a lot of people sort of unsure about Anthony Scully. When it when it arrived to him in this position, which is on the corner of the box, on the left-hand side, on his right foot, he's running at a defender. You think that's prime Anthony Scully position to get a goal, but he sort of tries to whip it and... In the, the day, you probably couldn't have played a nice, easier back pass to your own goalkeeper than, than what happened from that shot. So, Freddie, do you think we're sort of these sort of chances were there for the taking, weren't they, really? And unfortunately, Pompey just a little bit toothless in them. Yeah, it was sloppy execution, wasn't it? And I think that links to a lot of the shots which I look back on, where the positioning sometimes was really good and the run was quite de- was quite decent for many players. I mean, it was good that Sky was able to get into that space, but the technique was wrong. It was poor. And there were so many shots which went straight to Luke Southwood in goal, pretty much straight to him. It was comfortable saves. Only three of the shots were blocked as well. So it wasn't as if Cheltenham, they they did pack the penalty area, but there wasn't like, you know, they didn't like soak up the pressure entirely. No, it was frustrating. And it looked in this game that I didn't think Pompey would score, even though they had some of the chances. And I looked back on it and thought it's definitely two points dropped. And I think I remember saying in the pub afterwards that if Pompey can't beat teams like Cheltenham at home where they defend 10 men behind the ball, they're not getting promoted, which I still stand by. There just has to be a bit more quality in the final third, doesn't there? Yeah, I mean, for context, the Cheltenham team that we were playing against, they were not coming into the game on good form, were they, before uh, before our matches. They hadn't scored in the league, obviously, they still haven't with the only point they've picked up from four games now this season and they've conceded, what was it, five goals in three games beforehand, I think it was. So it's not as if we were coming up against a team posing really any sort of threat. And as you say, Fred, it just didn't really look like we were going to score. It wasn't one of those where we were hammering the door down, even though when you, you you condense that 90 minutes into three minutes of highlights, whatever, it's easy to make it look like Pompey created a decent amount. I just didn't get the feeling watching that game that we were actually going to score. I don't know why. Sometimes you just don't feel it. It just doesn't feel like it's going to be your day. And 
this definitely seemed to be one of those. As you say, Fred, very frustrating. Trying to talk about some of the build-up. I spoke about Alex Robertson playing that nice ball that ended in White having a chance and the ball bounces out from a corner. Talk about the Regan Paul header. It's a nice header, but the ball into him from White is perfect, really, isn't it? Plays a lovely ball. And if Paul does get that header and it just comes off the post and goes in, Fred, do you reckon it's a different story altogether? Oh, yeah. If it, if Pompey took any of their chances, especially that one, that was the highest XG chance in the entire game, just underneath, just above Sadie's. If they take that chance, then I don't think Cheltenham looked like scoring. They didn't in the entire game from what we watched. I think even if Pompey sauntered to a 1-0, I don't think the supporters would have cared that much because it would have been job done, three points in the bag, and none of the off-the-field stuff and other frustrations would have mattered. But no, it it was a shame because that that chance was, you know, it wasn't a gimme. It was well-placed. Another inch to the other side, it it would have been the back of the net, wouldn't it? I just want to quickly revisit. I mean, you said about if that first goal had gone in, would it have made a difference? And you know, well, would we be talking very differently? Of course we would. We never really come on and critique a 1-0 win. If one of those chances go in, goes in, it's very different. I just want to directly quote your prediction from last week, Hugh, which was once the first goal goes in, I think the floodgates will open. And I just, I, I know we don't normally revisit our predictions because we're all absolutely dreadful at them. But I just thought that floodgates opening was worth revisiting because the nil-nil draw is basically your fault after you've called that a couple of days before. Yeah, I'm not having that at all, Andy. Op- too optimistic, me, on the podcast in comparison to yourself is absolutely wrong. I need to Every time you're positive now, I'm going to come back and start quoting your positivity back at you. But the thing is, though, that theory could have been quite right if we managed to take one of these chances that we had. And unfortunately, one of those goals wasn't taken and therefore the floodgates couldn't open, could they? Conor Ogilvy did have a chance in, in the game as well where... He has a shot in the box. It comes back to him again and he takes another shot and just blazes it over the bar. I remember looking at Freddie and going, that's not the player you want in that situation. But at the same time, Andy, you just think that someone's got to take one of these chances, don't you? Yeah, exactly that. And we're looking for positives. And I know you want me to hear me be optimistic and positive. I thought this was another game where Rafferty and Ogilvy both look pretty decent going forward. And I know I highlighted it last week where we were talking about the Rafferty versus Swanson thing. I think the last few games where Rafferty has been a lot more potent going forward and the Fulham game where, you know, we've conceded three against a a team of under 21s with Swanson playing. I think that's kind of probably distanced in Musinho's mind who his starting right back is, I would imagine. But yeah, if we're looking for positives, yeah, that isn't necessarily the player. Ogilvy there, you want that chance falling to. But I mean, he doesn't collect, connect awfully. And he had that hit last week that, again, he connected pretty nicely with it. The keeper saved. One of those is going to sneak in. Rafferty's having, you know, efforts from outside the area and really getting into advanced positions. There are some positives to take. That's not me being all, to quote idiots on social media, happy clapper, because, you know, I'm not. It was a, it was a pretty drab performance. But... If we're actually looking at some more of the minutiae of the performance, what went right, what went wrong, it is important we do highlight that there are some positives there, especially in terms of right back, left back, and their sort of attacking potency. And as we'll come on to later, Sean Sean Raggett's attacking potency as well, apparently, which is a sentence I never thought I would say on the podcast. Yeah, Rafty had a few nice balls trying to link up with his mate, Colby Bishop. 
played a nice ball into the box that led to that corner we just spoke about and unfortunately the defender heads it over and stuff. I thought Rafty had a pretty good game. Talking about positives, I thought Regan Paul again, Shaughnessy at the back, that pairing really looked quite nice and fairly happy with them. And overall, you know, the back four played pretty well and you can't really you can't really critique them for this game at all, really. And I just thought we looked a little bit toothless. Didn't get the ball to Robertson enough in the in the hole. So because of that, we ended up drawing nil nil. Does anyone have yeah. anything else to say about this game in particular before I move this on? I think yeah. touch on the booing at the end. It's worth saying. Like, I, I don't really know what's going on if people are booing a nil-nil after the fourth game of the season. I think everyone's the, the sort of response is, you know, I pay my money. I've got my right to do what I want. You're absolutely right. You've got the right to boo. No one's saying you haven't got the right to do it, but I've got the right to go and stand on the street in a dressing gown and just blast out some Tom Jones and sing it to, you know, the absolute top of my voice. It's within my right to do it doesn't mean it wouldn't be horrifically embarrassing. And I think, especially after what was said the other week by Joe Rafferty about, you know, wanting, you know, the effect that the Fratton Park crowd can have uh, in terms of getting behind the team, which isn't something I don't, you know, I think the crowd's been quite quick to turn in the last year or two, especially after early season nil-nils. We had the same first game of last season, I think, didn't we? Was it Lincoln or someone we drew nil-nil with first game of the season? And there were, or first home game of the season, and there were actual boos. Um, but yeah, you're well within your rights to do it, to express your emotions however you want within reason. Doesn't mean I don't think it's an embarrassment that people are doing that after one of our players has literally come out and said, please don't do this. We need the support. One home draw. We didn't even lose the game. You look at other teams around us losing, you know, on, on this day, um, when we were drawing against um, Cheltenham Town, teams around us were dropping points, you know. Uh, there have been some really bad results for you know teams like Derby. You look at who are dropping points against te- against teams they really wouldn't expect to. Yeah, we've not been perfect, but if we'd scored one goal in this game, I think we'd have gone top of the table. And you're booing a team off who were you know one goal away from going into the dressing room, top of the table after four games. It seems very very strange to me, and nothing positive is going to come from it. You could see in the video, uh, in one video that Rafty kind of shrugs like why are they booing as the final whistle goes so they're hearing it it's going to have an effect it's not going to have a positive effect they're not going to go in and say oh i feel really motivated after being booed for drawing at home that's not that's not the outcome that's going to cause so yeah i don't i don't really understand that mindset i don't know if either of you two did join in i'm I'm assuming that neither of you did it's not not what i'd expect from you but i just don't really understand it to be honest with you i didn't enjoy the game either but I don't really think it's meriting that kind of response. Yeah, the performance wasn't that bad for that. I mean, it's not on the same level as Charlton at, Charlton at home last season, if you want, you want to come up with an example. But I think some of the fans who aren't really connected with the club at the moment probably saw a game where Pompey struggled creatively against the side that were pretty inferior at most scenarios and defended behind the ball and the lack of creativity again. And they probably just vented a bit. Um, I hope it doesn't affect the players as much. I think the only other thing to think about is how much did the stop it is the stoppage of play and Julian Browning coming on as uh, the the other assistant referee had the impact on the game. It's obviously not ideal to have like a huge break in the middle of the second half. I think that is a factor that may have played into it a little bit. And also the fact that the referee Ben Toner, after the new, new linesman came on, he looked as if he gave more, more fouls. The game was definitely more stop-start, I would have thought. So that probably didn't help either. Um, I'm not sure if you guys think how much of an impact that period had. 
I thought the decision making was very much stop start foul foul didn't really go away but don't really complain too much about refereeing decisions it wasn't the reason why we didn't win this game but at the same time it did feel in the stand that it wasn't going our way at all with these sort of minor fouls and the players are getting a little bit frustrated about it as well it does help the defending team if you have quite a a big break it allows them to regather themselves we always talk about just get to half time and and reset and that kind of thing and it did help Cheltenham not run out of steam and they had actually conceded some quite late goals in other games. So yes, it was definitely a factor, but Andy, I don't think it was the deciding factor as some people might make up. Yeah, I don't think it was close to being the deciding factor. Uh, just to clarify an earlier comment I made, I didn't mean Derby County. I meant Wickham Wanderers who have been having the really poor results at the start of the season. Blame my drug ag- drug addled brain for that one. But yeah, I think firstly... I think fair play to the Cheltenham Town manager for being okay with a Portsmouth fan coming on and running the line. I th- I'm assuming both coaching teams or both managers would have had to agree to it. Yeah, the, the players um, had to as well. The yeah, Cheltenham so squad did. Yeah. I think fair play to the Cheltenham team for agreeing to play on in that situation because they would have been well within their rights to have not done so. Uh, it would have been interesting to see what they'd done if they'd been two goals down or something at that point uh, to see if they'd made the same decision. But yeah, I... I don't think it really affected the outcome of the game. It's not like Portsmouth had suddenly built up a head of steam before the second um, the second match official went went injured. So, no, I'd, it was probably the most interesting thing to happen in the game, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I'm sure the, the Dino's all right. Hopefully he's not, not, not out for too long. Uh, we should start a betting line on how many officials are going to get injured every week at the moment in our games. It seems to be, yeah, a little bit of a, a little bit of a theme. So far, yeah, it was awesome stuff by Julian Browning for volunteering himself for going on. Fan for 50 years. I mean, he didn't necessarily have to. And yeah, everybody supported him that decision. So yeah, it was good that the game carried on afterwards. Did they find him some boots from the referee's locker room? Yeah, yeah, they, they found like kit and everything. Uh, they were gold boots. boots. Yeah. Oh yeah, I hope he got to keep them. Just to clarify, Andy, your point about Derby not playing well is fairly fine. They lost to Wigan in the first game, lost to Blackpool. They managed to beat Burton. But yeah, Burton they beat Burton have... away, didn't they? And yeah, then they got Burton turned over by Oxford, actually. Yeah, so yeah, maybe Derby wasn't such a bad shout. But their man Wickham, I mean, they're, they're sort of yardsticks that we can look at where if we'd been having those results, yes, I think you're entitled at that point to start being a bit vocal at, at the end of the uh, end of the game. But... We're not. We're undefeated in the league. And, you know, we were one goal away from going top. So, yeah, a bit, a bit different for me, that. All right, let's go on and talk about Freddie's favourite competition. The one that the club emailed him back and said, no, you can't have a season ticket for for this competition again, which is probably boohoo for you, Freddie Webb. But if we talk about the game itself, there was a lot of goals in it. Now, Probably made a lot of wholesale changes in this game. I think it was one of those things that you think, have any of these players done enough to start in one of the league games? And Freddie, did anyone stand out to you in your favourite competition and think he's made a real case to start against Evenage? Well, my opinion might be a bit skewed because like with all of these beating games, I didn't watch it. But looking through, reading through the reports afterwards, I did think, some players impressively. Dev- Devlin apparently had a very good game in centre midfield. Definitely unlocked a little bit. Um, Kobe Motto apparently was handed his first team debut, which is lovely to see, and he did reasonably well considering. 
I'd never expected Brackett to score a screamer like he did from like 25 to 30 yards, which was uh, the highlight, I thought. But the one interesting thing, reading that report and then reading something in the news afterwards, was that Messino was unhappy that he described Pompey in front of goal as sloppy after that game. Even though it was a Pompey had scored three, they hit the post two more times. They had 4.99 expected goals going to Scout in that game. And yeah, here that Messino basically said that they weren't clinical enough, just like against Cheltenham, but in a different way, even though they scored obviously three goals in this one. Important to clarify there whether the XG for the game includes the penalty shootout or not. I'm assuming it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No. Um, they were just very just very wasteful. It's like I said earlier, if you're looking at the amount of chances you're going to get per game in League One against the big hitters near the top of the league, especially if they go down to 10 men, or you just cannot afford to be that wasteful. And yeah, Freddie's Freddie's got it right there in terms of some of the players impressing. Like Devlin looked half decent. Um, I thought Sadie and yeah, Lane as well looked all right. But this was, a, again, an opportunity for a lot of players to really put their case forward to come into the Stevenage game. And it's just a big, big wasted opportunity for me. I mean, when you're talking about Sean Raggett is your biggest attacking threat on the night, so it's not the best reflection on some of the other players on the pitch, to be honest with you. As fun as it is to watch watch him knock him in from 30 yards out, it's probably not not a great reflection on some of the other players involved in the game. But I mean, I think I can you can kind of understand maybe Towler not being his usual self, for want of a better phrase, uh, coming back from timeout, etc. But a lot of those players had the opportunity to really push for a, 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 a league starting position here and I think they're going to be looking back and seeing it as an opportunity missed because you know it's not it's not a powerhouse of world football we're playing full of under 21s you know it's a it's a very winnable game for a starting league sort of a, an over 21 league one side so yeah we created chances yes we hit the post etc 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 but we weren't great in front of goal defensively so the first or the second goal second goal um sorry the second goal we conceded was an absolute horror show. Um, it doesn't seem at the moment like you know every game we watch with a our second choice keeper starting it was Oluwaya me the last game of last season against Wickham and and then in this game as well we've seen some defensive difficulties with a second choice keeper with Schofield. Uh, I kind of miss Alex Bass if I'm honest. Uh, my my Wimbledon friend said friend said he's doing really really well down there. It's kind of made me a little bit wistful for him to be honest with you. Yeah, Schofield didn't have the best game, did he, to put it to put it quite lightly. And Freddie, for that goal where the back pass came back a bit quick, do you think it's the fault of Schofield? He just needs to put his foot through it with his with his left foot, or do you think we can just put a bit on the on the defender for playing it back at him? Yeah, to be honest with you, like I said, I didn't watch highlights afterwards because it was a that cup competition. I only read the report, so I can't really give a proper answer on that. Freddie, you got you gotta watch the highlights of the game to talk about it, no matter what competition it is. I no, mean, he's like, fuck that. I'm not doing it. All right, uh, Andy, I'll fire the question at you. Yeah, uh, I don't think too much blame for me goes in the back pass. It's not brilliantly angled. I think the weighting of it for me is okay. Uh, it's coming across Schofield onto his right foot. And I think if he attacks it and kind of cuts the path of the ball off and just puts his foot through it, I think the problem's avoided. It's more the fact that he tries to wait for the ball to come across him by which point he's getting closed down by the Fulham player and is in an absolute world of trouble. Uh, yeah, I think 
for me, most of the blame does go on Schofield then, but we're not, you know, judging a keeper's entire ability by 190 minutes or 190 minutes plus penalties. We're not saying it's a it's a no for for the season for him by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it's a slightly inauspicious start, isn't it? But I think you have to put that one down to to keeper error, even though he probably didn't really want the ball in that situation. Yeah, and you've got to be in the second half. You look at the fact that Fulham had George Acas sent off for stopping a throw-in effectively by delaying the game coming on. So Fulham play a whole half with with 10 men as well. And again, Pompey struggled to break them down and they get caught on the break. And Tal and Raggett playing a little bit higher up the pitch. Raggett buoyant a little bit by the goal that he scored. And we get caught by a little bit of pace in behind both of the centre-backs and forwards. And he shoots from quite a, a sharp angle, but... Again, Schofield comes out and I, I think if you if you try and narrow the angle from there, you probably should do a bit better with your positioning. He manages to fire it across him and to be honest, most keepers should save that. Only positives I can go just to move on from that is just the fact that Alex Robertson came on and looked very lively. He had one situation where he shot from range, some nice footwork, took it away from defender. It's a nice shot. Keeper managed to save it. And then another shot where he gets into the same space and it's bangs off the post and on another day that one goes in. So at least Freddie, can we take some positives here from the fact that Alex Robertson looked lively after coming on? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Robertson's immediately played his way into the starting 11 in a few games as well. Looked very impressive. Looked exactly what this midfield needs. Somebody a bit more creative who can step further forward and especially in a flat three. If he goes down, it might be, bit of a concern you'd probably have to put Devlin in instead because he's probably the nearest replacement in terms of the style of player I think but no Robertson's been brilliant I've really enjoyed how he's played and from reading the report it definitely seemed like he had an impact coming on afterwards Andy Paddy Lane looked a little bit lively as well he's probably one of the only other players I thought looked a bit lively in this game he draws a free kick some nice footwork and has the creativity to take a, a pass quite quickly from that free kick and sends it into Devlin, doesn't quite get it to Sadie, but you could see maybe on that right wing side, there's a, there's a position there for Paddy Lane to come back after getting his fitness and make a case for him to start. 100%. Yeah, he's not had a huge number of minutes under his bag, kind of similar under his bag. That's not a saying, is it? Is it under his belt? Uh, kind of the same as Towler in that this game for me is a bit of a freebie, so I don't, I wouldn't have had a huge issue if he'd had a poor game. I think it was about getting minutes under his belt, some some miles in his legs. So the fact that he did look lively is a is a bit of a bonus for me. And I think, yeah, as we said earlier, he's one of those players that does emerge from the game with more credit than some of his, his teammates. So, yeah, it's one of those places on the pitch, maybe the right-hand side, where we're not completely settled on, you know, we've got the right player there for the next 42 games kind of thing. And even if we do have the right player there for the next 42 games, they're going to need rotating. So I think he's going to be a fairly important player this season. I would have no doubt about it. He looked lively at the end of last season. It's nice to see him getting some minutes under his belt. Long may it continue. And yeah, I think he certainly put himself forward as a a pretty realistic option to, uh, as, a, as a minimum, be on the bench, depending on his fitness this weekend. Yeah, and there's a few chances, obviously, you mentioned Freddie said about them being sloppy and one from Sadie off the bar and then Raggett after scoring the absolute screamer and scoring a goal where he sort of slides in at the back post, gets a chance from six yards out and that's more the Sean Raggett sort of finishing I expect and he just sort of spoons it over the bar but 
at the end of the day, it took to penalties. Everyone was fairly good with their pens, to be honest, watching the penalties back. And at the end of the day, we managed to scrape out the bonus point. And to be honest, I'm a fan of it because these games shouldn't go on any longer than they should have to. So as far as I'm concerned, you might as well move on, I suppose. We get the two points, but it's not really impressive performance, really, was it, Andy, from Pompey? No, I think impressive is one of the the last things I would use to describe it. I think without being overdramatic, without being crazy, like and and using that hyperbole I talked about earlier on, I think good that we scored, you know, looked a bit more dangerous in front of goal than we had previously in the Cheltenham game, albeit against 10 men of under 21s, but looked a lot less settled at the back than we have in previous games. So yeah, it wasn't a classic. I think Musinho is right to be coming out and, and not, necessarily just blindly saying the positives after some of these games, which we have seen in the past uh, where you really don't see any critique. I'd much rather have an honest interview where he says that actually this, this, this and this generally weren't good enough, even in games we've won. And I'm I'm quite enjoying seeing that from him. It's quite refreshing to see that honesty. And uh, yeah, we go again. I, I agree about the, the games not wanting to go on longer than they have to. I love that there's no extra time in these games when you're just basically doing a shootout for an extra point. And to be honest, the, the more these rotational players do play together, the, the better it's going to be for our squad, isn't it? Looking forward in terms of miles in the legs and match fitness. So I'm, I know that Freddie hates the tournament. Um, I'm not a massive, massive fan of it, but it's going to have its benefits if uh, if it gets miles in the legs of some of these sort of support players. Yeah, that's the positive I get from it as well. Not a bas- massive fan of the sort of under-21 teams being in the competition, to be honest. I think it devalues it further than it already was. But when it comes down to it, I suppose it gives some of those fringe players a chance. And unfortunately, not many of them took it. We put a question out to you guys and we said, the Blues failed to break down a determined Cheltenham, which ended now now. Are we reading too much into Pompey's early results? Thanks to everyone that messaged in. We really appreciate it. It does make the show. Sorry that I only put this one out about an hour before recording. So if you were going to respond to us this week and you haven't got round to it, that is my fault. So we'll start there. But Dave Laura messaged in and said, on paper, our squad is stronger and the lead o- league overall is weaker. But the Cheltenham game showed the same old problems. No idea why Messinio went with an unchanged lineup and formation. In the future, selection needs to be much more aggressive. Freddie, when it comes to being more aggressive, how do Pompey become more aggressive with their formation? Is it putting another striker up? Is it just a system thing, getting the ball forward quicker? How can Messinio tweak this? Yeah, it can be a bit both. You could probably play Jack Sparks at left back. That'll probably make things a little bit easier. Have him overlap Jack and C. Scully a lot more. That would obviously create more chances on that side potentially playing Robertson a bit further forward. So it's more more like a 4-2-3-1 than a, a flat 4-3-3, even though both formations are quite interchangeable, to be honest. There could be a bit more pace in the midfield and a bit more bit more movement in there. But I think those are the those are the main things really. I think most of the attacking players, to be honest, were on the pitch. So I think it was just an execution problem rather than Rather than a personnel choice, I guess you could might have played Kamara instead of Scully, but, it, but I don't think it would have made that much difference personally. I think Kamara is better at coming on from what we've seen, and yeah, probably maybe playing Sparks at left back because 
Cheltenham didn't test Pompey's defence the entire game. Those are probably the only the few tweaks I'd have made. Yeah, we talked about this before. And I think Scully in particular being that sort of inside forward needs somebody to get up and get round him. To, and Rafferty's been doing that really well on the right-hand side. And you do think with Scully there, he needs somebody to keep getting past him. So he draws a defender, which gives him more room when he cuts inside. You know, however, he has had chances as well, even in that situation. So it's quite difficult really to work that out at the moment, but something's got to change and make us a little bit more dynamic. Messinio's Moose messaged in and says, given the squad turnover, I feel John has prioritised defence in pre-season to give us a base to build off, knowing early season partnerships aren't there to play natural attacking play. Don't think we'll have another game as, as disrupted, mixed with as defensive an opponent as Saturday. Obviously, the game was pretty stop-start, as we already spoke about. thing is, though, Andy, there are quite a lot of teams that will come to Fratton Park and park the bus. It really reminded me, to be fair, of that League Two campaign under Paul Cook, where we sort of played the same style of football. Some fans really hated the fact we couldn't break teams down who came and parked the bus and complained, but... At the end of the day, we did end up getting promoted. So is that something to worry about too much? And do you think, you know, prioritising defence is right for now? Yeah, I do think other teams are going to come and do exactly the same thing. I think you were looking at teams like Leighton Orient, Burton, Fleetwood, realistically not going to come and try and, you know, put three or four past us, are they, at Fratton Park? Uh, As you say, yeah, it is a little bit reminiscent of, of that League Two season. I completely agree with that sort of parallel. I genuinely think we're going to know where we stand at the end of September. That's that's what we said before the season. We've got that tough run of games coming up. Um, also, I'm guessing Moussinho's Moose is Cowley's Cow with a name change, I'm guessing. We should a big fan of that. Um, but yeah, I think end of September, we'll know where we're at because we'll have played our August mostly against teams who you aren't expecting to be near the top of the table at the end of the season then are on paper, tougher September. And then, you know, ask me if we need to be panicking or worrying because at the moment I'm not panicking, I'm not worrying in the slightest. I'm moderately underwhelmed from the last couple of performances, but nothing more than that. It's nothing that, you know, if we came out at the weekend against Stevenage and put six past them, hypothetically, people's memories are very short. And that would instantly erase everything people are, are feeling at the moment. In my opinion, I'm sure some people would disagree with that, but I don't think we're at any anywhere near a worrying point where, you know, one good 90 minutes wouldn't solve it. Pompey and Cabra messaged in and said, it's still early days. We've only conceded one goal in the league so far, which bodes well. If we can be more clinical at the other end. As has been mentioned before, though, we need more pace on the wings. Let's see how we fare through September, because that'll be tough. Fred, do you reckon when we're looking at the team and having more pace in the wings, I've liked Kamara when he's come on. He gives a different um, threat. He's sort of his movement's good. He takes players on 1v1 very well as well. Starting, he doesn't seem to have quite the same effect, does he, as when he he comes off the bench against tired legs. I think also Messinos is trying to manage his minutes a bit because obviously he's still very new to playing pro football. But do you think him and, say... Lane playing in the side and we look completely different on the wings? Potentially. They offer a different dynamic, one that's probably more aggressive in terms of they'll try more things, I think. They'll probably take a few more risks, perhaps. 
but no, like you said earlier, I don't think I think Kamara's played best when he's coming off off the bench against tired legs, where his creative creativity and bursts of pace have been really good, and his setup play has been brilliant when he's done that. But in games where he started, I think it was mentioned in the cup game against the Fulham B team where he started and didn't look brilliant throughout most of the game. So that is something to consider. Paddy Lane looked reasonably well. Um, and you think, well, what do you do there? At the moment, your best two wingers play on the same side. Do you swap them? Do you play Lane on his wrong side? Or do you play Gavin White as an inside forward, which I don't really like? I don't particularly want to see that either. So it'd be a tough one, really. Um it seems strange. I, I, I don't see playing Lane on the left, even though it might be better to have a winger on his preferred foot if if you have Ogilvy as the left back anyway, who's not going to be overlapping as much. Andy, what do you think about playing Paddy Lane on the left-hand side then, giving him a chance, maybe taking Andy Scully out for a game and giving him a chance on the left? I think we all look at some of these players and think, they do better cutting inside and shooting, and that's part of their game. But maybe it's, it's time to give someone else a chance to to contribute something different on that side. Yeah, I've got no issue with um, with a bit of rotation by any stretch of the imagination. I think, realistically, Scully is going to be rested at times this season. We're going to be relying on squad players. We're going to be relying on players like Paddy Lane to come in. Um, and I don't really have a problem with it. The thing with Paddy Lane is he's left-footed. So in terms of cutting inside and shooting on his stronger foot, you'd potentially be looking him, looking at playing him on the right. I'm pretty sure he's left-footed, as far as I know, from what I've seen. Um, yep, thumbs up, great. So if we're putting him on, playing him on the left, that was what the question was, right? If we're putting him on the left, we're potentially looking at uh, restricting him to playing more down the byline, depending on how one-footed he turns out to be on a kind of, ambidextrous to Rico Hackett chart somewhere in the middle on that spectrum if he's closer towards the Rico Hackett end of the the one-footed spectrum then I would think that we're potentially wasting him a little bit playing him down on the left wing for me Um, but again I have no problem with it being tried ideally with 15 minutes to go when we're 4-0 up against a team who have given up for the afternoon but I don't think it's something we should completely write off but I wouldn't necessarily have it as the first change to make on my list, if that makes sense. Josh Lishmesh is in, he says, Josh Lishmesh is in, he says, our recruitment policy includes essentially a reclamation project where they're rehabilitating players like Scully and White. It's probably too early to assess whether it's proved a successful strategy. Not many were coming off a successful season, e.g. Paul. Fred, we spoke about in the build-up to, you know, the transfers and you know, who we got in, analysing it quite a lot over the summer, that some of these players might take a bit of time to to get going. They haven't played a lot of football. Obviously, you had Scully at Wigan and he had that hernia issue and Gavin White didn't play a lot for Cardiff. And I think with Gavin White, he's maybe showing more on that right-hand side. He's linking up better with with Joe Rafferty, whether that's on Rafferty or, or on White. Sort of, we have to see him, I suppose, play the other way. But... Do you think it's fair to say we're judging these players too early? They're just gelling together. And some of these players are really just getting up to up to speed. So maybe it's just a bit of a calm now. Keep playing it, Messinio thinks, and it will come good. I assume that's what Messinio will do, because he's probably thinking the same thing. Especially with the players like we mentioned, like Scully and White barely played any football last season. A lot of other players who came in have 
haven't played that much football either. Some have. But the thing is, I think you do need to take into account form to a certain extent. Um, I mean, Massinho took Sadie's form into account when he was dropped dropped deeper into a midfield, and now that's pretty much where the position he's playing. So you, you can't ignore it entirely. If, for example, Scully continues to be patchy for the next few games, and then Massinho thinks, well, we may as well play Lane on the left or start Kamara or play Sadie there, then, then it could happen, and that's a reasonable change to have. I don't think we should overreact at the form of some of the players because I don't think any of the players have been poor in this first stretch of games, but some of them haven't impressed as much as I thought they had, even though a lot of them have. I think you've just got to be a bit balanced about it. Tom PSW has a good point here. He says if we had Yengi in the squad, I believe we would have scored against Cheltenham. Does that show that we lack options up top now he's injured? Sadie seems to look better behind a number nine, so in a deeper position. I think it's fair to say that Yengi has come on, isn't he, and, and scored goals when we need him to. And maybe we are missing another another player like that. I mean, we had that last season, didn't we, Andy, when it was Bishop or Bishop or die up front, really. And maybe we, we are missing a bit of a dynamic element with, with Yengi being out. Yeah, I think so. I mean, last season we were ending up with kind of very reliant on Bishop for goal scoring, but then looking at that interplay with Piggott, where Bishop and Piggott, I thought, linked up pretty well over the course of the season. Whereas with Yangi coming in, it's a little bit different in that they both look like out-and-out threats, like goal-scoring threats individually, rather than maybe one of them being reliant on the other for the chances. But, I mean, if you lose your top scorer at the start of the season for six to eight weeks after, what, three games, yeah, it's going to be far from ideal. And it's not, you know, we, we talk about... Oh, I don't, I don't talk about it personally, but you see on social media, people talking about bringing in players with really poor injury records, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes, yeah, there is no smoke without fire, but you can't always prepare for someone being out for two months within 270 minutes of starting the season. You know, even your more injury prone, prone players are going to, on average, be able to get through three games without some sort of niggle causing a, a layoff. So we certainly look less threatening without him. I think that's not exactly advanced analysis from the three of us, that's for sure. But it's a very it's a game of very small margins. And the fact that, you know, Bishop has been whatever number of inches, centimeters away from a number of balls in from players like Rafferty in the last few games, you know, if if he's a split second further forward in any of those and and you know scores one of them, again, maybe we're not having this conversation. So I do think with this given a bit of time, it will come right. I genuinely do believe that. I don't think we need wholesale changes. I don't think we need reactionary, dramatic, huge changes to formations and lineups. I do think this is a side that will come good. And especially so when Yangi comes back from his injury layoff, for sure. I'm just not panicking at this point, to be honest with you. I think we'll have to see. And I think at first the injury was going to be, was looked at being a lot worse for, for Yangi, thinking that, it was actually sort of like a, a mu- uh, sorry, a bone injury. They actually hurt something and actually it turned out to be muscular and a little bit shorter on the recovery. So that's good news for us. But again, I think the conclusion to this is it is still very early in the season. I think people want us to beat Cheltenham. It's understandable. You know, as Andy's pointed out very kindly, I already predicted us to win three now in that game. So let's just move on from that. Let's talk about Stevenage. Everybody's favourite team with Steve Evans. You love him or you hate him. 
or you're indifferent to him from a comedy point of view, I suppose that's me. He knows how to sign players that fit into a system that works for how Steve Evans plays football. Stevenage, again, generally look quite direct. They sort of are good at attacking set pieces and good in the air, etc. And I think to create goals against them, you're going to have to run at them. You, you look at how they're playing at the moment. They've got Nathan Thompson playing at centre-back in the middle of a three with his uh, brother in crime, Louis Thompson, then playing in a sort of a five-man midfield in the more holding role in sort of in front of him. Andy, would you say that Stevenage are a surprise package this season? At the moment, no. I think it's worth pointing out as well the Nathan Thompson thing is going to be suspended for this game. He was sent off against Reading in the first half for a second yellow card after 22 minutes, which is the most Nathan Thompson thing I think I've ever heard. It was for a sort of a, just a messy last man challenge almost, uh, which he got a second yellow for. So he won't be featuring against us, unfortunately. But I think Stevenage, for me, have recruited strongest out of the promoted teams by by quite a distance. I thought from memory in our predictions, I've got them comfortably avoiding relegation from memory. And I, I don't know if you guys had them to go down. Fred's done all the write-up for this to look back on uh, on at the end of the season. I don't know if you can remember, Fred, but um, no, you're shaking your head. But they've, they've looked like they've recruited really, really well. You know, if you look at the squad that they're working with, yes, Nathan Thompson is suspended, so not playing. But they brought in players like, you know, Dan Butler is a very well-established League One player who's played the level above. Harry Anderson has been uh, previously at, at Lincoln for a decent amount of time playing mid-table or, or above of, of League One. Um, Louis Thompson, very, very good player. Um, Ten Bompson in the squad as well. They've, they've recruited really, really well, particularly in midfield. And uh, it's unfortunate because I cannot stand Steve Evans. I cannot stand the bloke. So it's very frustrating for me to come on a podcast and say how well that that he's done in the off-season and that I think they're one of the more dangerous teams or probably the most dangerous promoted team this season for me. I mean, the fact that what well, they're currently fifth in the table, 1-3, lost one. Obviously, football isn't purely played on paper. The one defeat coming against Reading at, uh, at the weekend, playing with 10 men for most of the game. One of the goals they conceded was uh, directly from a corner, header from a corner where the Reading player just got away to even get picked up. Comfortable, free, towering header. The other one was a, a very quick lump forward, sort of a one route one football. Stephen is just unable to do anything about it. It was a very much, you know, almost from the goalkeeper into the opposite goal in the space of a of sort of three or four passes. So conceding from high balls was the the theme, I guess, of their last game against Reading. But they're a dangerous side. Uh, I think they're going to finish comfortably outside of the relegation zone by the end of the season, and and it. It kills me a little bit to say that with uh, with Steve Evans in charge. You look at who they got up front, they play a two. They've got the little one um, large with Reed being that sort of quicker player who runs onto things. And he's already scored two goals this season as well. And then obviously got Presley playing up front with him. He's much more that sort of flick it on, hold up ball sort of player as well. The, the Defoe and Crouch mould and they'll play it up to him and then play to knockdowns, etc. And then try and get other players into the, into the positions as well. Obviously, they're going to go wide a fair amount, try and get balls into the box, which is what Steve Evans likes to do. And, you know, they're churning out some decent results, aren't they, so far? If you look at who they've played against, all right, you know, they beat Shrewsbury at home. That's, you know, that's still pretty standard, but it's not a bad. It's one away at Cambridge. Pompey fans know it's difficult to go and play away at Cambridge as well. 
beat another newly promoted team with Northampton as well. So they're pretty standard, solid results. And Freddie, are you feeling that we can actually go in and beat Stevenage? Yeah, Steve Evans has got a knack for doing this, hasn't he, with um, almost unfancied teams, um, if you look at it from the outside, bringing in very good players who have either had pedigree at the level they're playing at before or fit into the system perfectly. And I think this game would be incredibly difficult. As much as I also hate the perfectly round Steve Evans, he's a very good manager at this level. And I think this this game would be particularly difficult. One other player who Andy didn't mention, they've got uh, Carl Piergiani at centre-half. He's an excellent centre-half. I really like him. In a more of a traditional mould, always a threat from set pieces. Could put him on a target man striker. I think he'll be basically two two hand put shirt pulling Colby Bishop for pretty much most of the game, but we'll we'll see how that goes. I can imagine Pompey finding it very difficult to break this team down purely because of the the formation they play, the very good defenders they have, and the style of the football that Stevenage will employ. And I think this will be another stop-start game. So I think in this period where Pompey is still gelling a bit, I think it'll be particularly difficult. Massively. All right, let's just get to it. Score prediction time. Andy, I want to know your score prediction, please, for the game against Stevenage and any goal scorers. Right then, we'll go with... I do think Pompey will win the game. I think Stevenage are you know, going to come and give us a very, very different challenge to Cheltenham, they're fairly high on confidence, quite rightly and quite deservedly after the the last few months of football. They're not going to come and sit back at home and try and escape with a draw. They're going to want to win this game, which I'm hoping will lead to a very different style of game than we had against Cheltenham and potentially played some of our more flary players' advantage. Because, I mean, you can already tell this season, if you give someone like, uh, like Robertson space, you're going to get punished over the course of a game, I would hope. Therefore, I will go with a 2-0 Pompey win, which I'm only saying that we're not going to concede because we have in the league looked pretty good defensively thus far. I've got no reason not to predict a Pompey win, even with Stevenage looking fairly, fairly good. I think losing uh, Nathan Thompson is quite a large loss for them in terms of, I guess, in terms of a sort of... um sort of marshalling that defensive line. You know, centre-back in a back three is a very, very important, or the middle of a back three is a very important role. It's difficult to come in and replace someone who does that for a couple of games. As a result, I think, yeah, Pompey win, and we will go with goal scorers. Let's say Robertson is going to get on the score sheet for Pompey and uh, and Colby Bishop, because that's just the, the easy prediction, isn't it, really? And I'm not in a particularly imaginative mood. How about you, Hugh, before we do, Freddie? I'm going to go with a 1-0 Pompey win. I'm going to go with a, a solid defensive performance and a Robertson goal on the break. One of these has to go in. One of these shots off the post, keeper saving it. I think he's doing well. Alex Robertson to get his first goal for Pompey in a 1-0 Pompey win. Freddie, what are you saying? Oh, wait for me to bring everything down a little bit. I'm going to go with a very plodding and frustrating one-all draw. I'm going to go with... Gavin White to score, because it seems like a lot of people have been hitting at him and seeing he's not played as well as he should, but I think he's done all right so far. And for Stephen, it's just to rub it in, I'm going to go for a Ben Thompson goal set up by Dan Butler Cross with a bit of play from Louis Thompson beforehand, so you get the full ex-Pompey special all the way through. 
I don't even know if all those players are fit at the moment. They've got quite a long injury list, but it sounds plausible. One quick question before we finish, lads, uh, in terms of the Pompey side, based on our league defensive performances and um, Raggett's attacking performance in the week, I personally am not changing our back line. I'm not bringing Sean Raggett in, but I'm interested in whether either of you would be bringing Raggett into the starting lineup for this game. No. Is, is what I think. Um, I like the centre-back partnership of Shaughnessy and Paul. I think Shaughnessy is good in the air as well, which is needed against a team like Stevenage. He's one of the things that Raggett offers. But for me, he's more mobile. He passes the ball out quicker for us. He's got a nice balance there with Paul. So for me, unless Shaughnessy's down, he, he's penciled in. I think the only thing you look at is maybe Sparks starting at left-back. I think that's something you could you could argue. But... I think in this game, he'll stick with a more physical player and go Conor Ogilvy. Hey, Freddie? Uh, yeah, I think they'll just go for the same back four against Cheltenham. The centre-half partnership has been very good. I'll be the best bit of this side. And I think we need Ogilvy's defensive capabilities and physicality in this game, specifically purely because of how Steven is going to play from set pieces and other bits. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And then I guess final question from me on centre-backs. Who is now your first replacement centre-back are you looking Towler or are you looking Raggett I want an actual sort of ranking from you guys in in terms of who you think our strongest centre-backs are at this point I'm at the for this weekend I'd be bringing in Raggett over Towler just because of minutes in the belt under the belt and coming back from injury but over the course of the season I'm going Towler over Raggett when he's fully fit again interested if you guys feel the same or not just before we wrap up I think I think I agree for the moment I think in some ways you want to see Riley Towler's development continue. I think it'd have to be at home. I think a game's away from home. It's a little bit different. For instance, against Cheltenham, you know, they're on the back foot. You, you play, you can play a bit more of a mobile player. I think that's okay next to Paul. But on performances so far, I think Sean Raggett's going to come in. But it also depends, I suppose, Fred. Do you think it depends who goes down and who they're replacing? Yeah, I think so. I think if you want some more... Mobile centre half, for example, if Paul goes down, you might want Taylor to replace him. That that difference is there. And Shothnessy, um and Raggett swapping over. But I think Sean Raggett is the third choice purely on experience and stability. And especially in games like this, he'll be the better choice purely on scheme fits coming, I think. All right, Lance. Just before we finish, thanks to Tim Foot for donating some money on Buy Me a Coffee. It is appreciated, Tim. Thank you very much for that. Thanks, Tim. Good lad. Much appreciated. All right. Cheers, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, nice one, Tim. Was it, was it, Hugh, was it specified whether we're spending that money on tequila or beer or co- actual coffee or was there any request or no? He said towards the running cost of the podcast slash bar, bar tab. So I think that can be interpreted as, as we like. So that's whether we're going to put it towards the money I'm paying for the hosting or whether it's going into the Pompey News Now account effectively to be used for a bar tab. To be negotiated, basically. I can't really drink at the moment on my meds, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna vote that it goes into the Pompey News Now bar tab account until I'm able to drink properly again and then we withdraw for uh, for some tequilas. That's dangerous though, because Freddie's always sort of poking Ugh. me in the arm, asking me to buy him jugs of woo-woo at Weatherspoons. So it could be <laughs> that's a throwback i don't think i've drunk woo woo since i was about 17 good grief i don't think i've drank it sober to be honest i don't I know not. Why would you? i can't even remember what 
I'm trying to remember what I last drank at the Weatherspoons that was a cocktail, but Ruddles top. No, not Ruddles. That's dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> I was on about cocktails after the beers, but uh, Freddie, we know we know you're a peach and cranberry kind of guy, mate. So woo woo is what I put you down, or some sort of sort of blue lagoon style drink. That's you that's what I see in my that. mind's eye when I when I think of Freddie Webb in a spoons. Freddie no fosters. Freddie goes for like the hardcore version of Blue Lagoon, though. Like, I remember being in the nightclub in Newcastle. Oh, was it at Rise, Freddie? When you hand me this blue drink? Oh, oh, glass. that's tiki fire. That's proper stuff. That is, and they exactly. used to serve. They used to serve it in a bucket, but they don't anymore. Right? No, it comes in a, in a pint glass. It has has all kinds of different random spirits in it, and then it's finished up as the mixer with a blue VK. I think I was drinking that one in the morning with Freddie in Newcastle. It, it's kind of brutal and it really messed me up. I'm not going to lie. Big fan of that. I don't know if they do that request at uh, the brewery, but yeah, next time no, we're in an actual bar. I think we, I think we, have to, we have to go all the way up north for that, unfortunately. All I didn't know how north. legal it was. It had shots of like all kinds of stuff in it. It so. had fireball whiskey in it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. With, with Blue VK as the mixer. But on that rather cheerful note, we'll see if Freddie's 1-1 draw is is spot on or whether me and Andy's eternal optimism it seems in on this podcast is continued because you can all tell that we were so pumped up by the Cheltenham game and we've decided to to roll the dice again and hope for a Pompey win but no you're just huffing and puffing I thought you were going to say something else then Andy you're just looking at your shoulder you've made it through mate well done another one <laughs> take off lads I said on the last podcast in case you didn't listen to the end that you know, we're sort of managing your minutes, Massinho style. So you got through a whole game now. This is a, this is the breakthrough, isn't it? Oh uh, yeah, I'm heavily medic. I'm I'm at that getting it through, but heavily medicated on painkillers stage. So yeah, I'm going through the 90 minutes for the good of the team, um, and then probably getting slated on social media for for my performance by a lot of people who don't realise sort of that I'm playing injured. So uh, we'll go with that. Standard Pompey, and until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!